0: You can be seated, and children, you can be released for Children's Church, Um, and as they make their way out, just a a reminder that as you checked in your kids this morning, you should have received kind of some instructions that as we work together to help uh, the children learn memory verses, there's kind of a challenge that we're doing together as a group, and so parents, you should have that uh, instruction sheet to help you know how to navigate that, and if you have any questions, please feel free to ask any of our children's ministry staff. So thankful for them, So this morning, we are continuing in our study through the gospel of Mark. Particularly, we're going to be picking up in Mark chapter 13, verse 24. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn there, if you have uh, one of these scripture journals that we have available for you for free, it's on the bottom of page 82. So if you just want to scroll there, that's where you can find today's text. So as you turn there, I, I want to ask kind of a question to start to shape our thinking this morning. Have you ever found yourself driving and you're driving the same route day after day, week after week to the same destination, and then one day you get in the car and next thing you know, you're at your destination, right? And somehow your muscle memory just got you there and you're like, I made turns, I stopped at stoplights, I hope, like I don't think I, like I'm here, like it was almost as if a daze because we've gone through the motion over and over and over again that we just disengaged our mind from the entire journey until we arrived. The warning that's before us this morning is the same thing can happen to us spiritually, right? Like day after day begins to flow into years, Year after years builds into waves of decades and centuries, and we look back, and we're like, is the world any different? Is the world any better? Like even last week when when we saw like, hey, wars and and rumors of war, but we look back, and at the last 3,400 years of recorded history, only 268 of those years have never had any kind of war on the earth. And so we say, yes, when we see all these things, is anything really any different? Is anything ever really going to change? And we just find ourselves beginning to go through life asleep, in a slumber, as if in a daze that what has always been will always be, and we're just here for a short time, so just get through it the best you can. But in today's passage... I want us to imagine as if Jesus is approaching us and he's shaking the shoulder and he's like, wake up, wake up. The time is drawing near. It's time to wake up. The day is upon us. The day is near. Don't sleep. Be alert. Be awake. This is what this passage is meant to be to us this morning. It's a wake-up. It's a reality to what is coming, what is promised, because where we've been, just as a review so we understand the context this morning, is as we've worked this year through the gospel of Mark, Mark 11 through 16 is the final week of Jesus before the crucifixion. Particularly the text we're in is looking now, that week started on a Sunday, is a Tuesday late afternoon to evening, Jesus had been confronted by religious leaders. He's been talking to people on the temple mount. He's left the temple, is what we talked about last week. The disciples are looking back at the temple, the white marble covered in gold, and they're like, aren't these buildings beautiful? Isn't the temple beautiful? And Jesus is like, yeah, but not one stone will be left on the other. And then he keeps walking down the Kidron Valley, up onto the Mount of Olives, where finally he sits down. And they're overlooking the temple mount from about 120 feet above the temple, looking down on it from a distance. And the disciples come up and they're like, uh, what did you mean? (laughs) Like, when is the temple going to be destroyed? What are going to be the signs of the end? Like, how will we know when this is coming? And Jesus begins to answer. Now, in the disciples' mind, they thought these two events were one event. They were thinking the destruction of the temple and the end of time must be the same thing. And so when Jesus begins to talk, he's speaking to both of those questions. When the temple will be destroyed and when the end of time will be. And both of those were in the future for the disciples. Now for us today, we see that those are two separate events. And we look back because it's in the past that the temple was destroyed. Just as Jesus said in 70 AD. Not one stone was left on top of the other because as the Romans lit it on fire and the gold began to melt and go in between the stones, the soldiers knocked over one stone from the other in order to get to the gold. And Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled. But what is talked about at the end of time still lays in the future for us. And so when we read this text, we're like, what does it mean? When is Jesus speaking to something that happened in the past? And when is he speaking to something that's going to happen in the future? And, and my caution last week and this week is the same: to not get, get caught up in the confusion of some of the details in such a way that calls us to lose sight of the bigger picture. There is clarity in this passage. And the resounding command for us this morning is to stay awake. Jesus is returning. His return is certain even if the day is unknown. And so as we step into this passage, I just wanted us to to remind us of where we're at. And, And I want to encourage us like now in this moment, let's pray. We need the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We cannot approach God's word with human understanding. We need the spirit of God to help us understand and apply his word. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for this timely reminder in in my own life to be alert, to, to pay attention, to stay awake. Lord, I pray that you would help expose areas in our life where we have fallen into a slumber through the monotony of life in history. Lord, would you invigorate our hearts and our minds in the hope that we have of your return. And in Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to look with me. We're going to start in verse 24 of Matthew 13. And look at this very first phrase, but in those days after that tribulation, that there's a specificity here, right? Like in those days, in that Tribulation. Many scholars believe that verse twenty-four marks a transition that's happening between between when Jesus was just talking about what happened in the destruction of the temple to what will come. It's hard to tell. We definitely do kind of see that this it's talking about a specific tribulation, not just in general, not just meaning tribulation as Christians have been hated throughout history and we have seen the persecution of Christians increase in recent times, right? But it's saying at that tribulation that there's also something that is specific here that Jesus is referencing, a, a particular tribulation that is being talked about. And it's also different from just signs that were happening on earth, where there would be wars and rumors of war and famine and earthquake, and there's this terrestrial signs that were happening but now it moves into the heavens when it says then the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers and the heavens will be shaken that we see that that there is these signs that are happening in the heavens now what does that mean i don't know there's lots of guesses. You can talk about total eclipses and meteors and asteroids, or is it even something bigger than that? The reality is this. There will be signs, not just of what's occurring on the earth, but also in the skies, in the heavens above. That will be a visible indication prior to Jesus coming back. What that means and how that is, this is, is what it's telling us. But I think what the focus is, is what we see next this is a precursor to something so often my fears when it comes to passages like this we can get so caught up in in times what are the signs describe the signs talk about the signs and we never move beyond that it just makes clickbait it makes for interesting fodder for us to talk about but where is it helping us spiritually Yes, this is said what will come before and then. There's two and thens. Like when I'm marking in my Bible, if you're marking in the scripture journal, there's two ands in and that I circled as I was reading through this. Because the first says, and then. And then Jesus will return. And then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then this is what I highlighted. In my Bible, not that the, the sun's not going to shine and the moon's not going to shine and these are the signs. What I highlighted was the and then. And then the Son of Man is coming. The emphasis is on the return of Jesus Christ, that his return is clear. Jesus will return. And, and compare and contrast for a moment his return verse the Nativity. Right, what we celebrate at Christmas time when when the eternal God took on human flesh, was born as a babe where there was no room for him in the inn, just a few shepherds were told of his birth, came to worship the, the humbleness, the lowliness, and then when he returns in power and in glory, where the entire world, the heavens will declare this is God. And it's there, it's before us. This is what the main point is. And here's the reality. Here's what I want us to feel this morning that I feel for some could be a paradigm correction. That Jesus' return marks both the end and a new beginning. It's not, oh no, the world is ending. Oh no, everything we knew is coming to an end. It's marking the beginning of something. Like, think about this. The end. What is coming to an end? The things that feels like it's always been, it always is, is coming to an end. There will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin. They will come to an end. Wars will cease The ground will no longer shake and cry out. Children will no longer be starving. Appetites for power and control will be quenched. It will all be brought to an end when Jesus returns. And then... And then He will send out the angels and gather His elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth and the ends of heaven. Those whom God have, has chosen. Those whom have placed their faith and trust in Christ, in Christ alone. 1 Corinthians 15 says that in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. There is a new beginning. It's not just that God is bringing an end to those things, but there is something that is being ushered in. The eternal kingdom of God established on earth for all eternity. Pain of a broken world doesn't just end, but it will be replaced with praise. Praise of our living God. The the sorrows and tears that, that we weep at night will be wiped away, will be swallowed up. In the joyous singing of the saints around the throne of God, the darkness of sin will flee completely, fully in, in the light and holiness of who God is. Death will be no more. Life will be eternal. No more weeping, no more pain, no more sickness because it will be replaced with something greater. This is what stands out to me when I read this. Jesus is returning. But it's not just this doomsday, end of the world, apocalyptic movie of how everything ends. It's saying, and then, we will see Christ appear. And and here's the thing, as the passage continues, what we're going to see is his return. It's certain. It's guaranteed. It's not like maybe if he returns, if he doesn't change his mind, he'll return. He will return. There is a certainty, a confidence that we can have that Christ will return as he said he will. Look in, in verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, I don't know about you, I don't deal with fig trees, right? Like you read this and you're like, that's interesting, but okay. Like, I guess when fig trees come out, like it's before summer, like there's a timing, there's a season for me. What resonates how, when, when I read that, I'm like, Oh, that would be the same as saying I love autumn. I'm from further up North. And so it's like when the leaves begin to change, autumn is here, right? We get pumpkin spice. Like autumn is upon us. When the color of the leaves begin to change, you know that autumn is at hand and you know that winter is right around the corner. You see the signs on the tree and in the same way, that's what he's saying. What was around them was fig trees. And he's like, you know that when the fig trees, when the branches get tender and the leaves begin to break through, you know that summer's about to come. Because that's the sign in nature. And he's like, in the same way. So also, in verse 29, when you see these things taking place, you know that the end is near. When you see these signs taking place, you know. I actually said that wrong. Did you catch it? It doesn't say that the end is near. That's what we expect to hear, don't we? It says that He... Is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you see that He is near at the very gates. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? See, we think like, oh, the end is near, the end is coming. I think of those guys who wear like the, the cardboard walking down the street, like, the end is near, the end is near. But this is saying He is near, He's at The gates. He is near. Think about what this means. We just sang, before I came out here, of the goodness of God. Like we sing the name of Jesus. We preach the name of Jesus. We celebrate the Lord's table and we repeat what Jesus has said. We gather throughout the week in living rooms and we talk about the teachings of Jesus. We pray to Jesus And think about what this is saying. He's near. He's drawing near. That one day, we will see the light reflecting in his eyes. We'll hear his voice in our ears. We'll see the scars in his hands. The the warmth and strength of an embrace That day is coming. It's near. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Don't just fall into the rut of life and this is what we do and this is how it's always been and the world is broken and it will always be broken. There is hope. Now and in the future, there is hope. Wake up. Jesus' return is near today than it was yesterday. Think about that. Like, what if it was this week? What if it was tomorrow? What if today is the last day where death and sorrow and sickness reign? This is what it's calling us to, to be awake. What if today was the last day and tomorrow is when eternity begins? Would you do anything different? Are there conversations that you would have? Are are some even putting off following Jesus because I want to get some things out of my system before I follow God, so let me do that later? Do we actually believe? Are we actually awake that Jesus is near? That His return is imminent? That it is certain? What if tomorrow were the beginning? Would you worship different? Would you pray different? Because that's the kind of expectancy we're called to live with together as Christians. Now, look at what continues here in in verse 30. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. There's two detours that I'm going to take this morning off the main topic because it has raised questions for people throughout time. In fact, C.S. Lewis called this verse the most embarrassing verse for Christians in the Bible, right? Because it's like, what does this mean? Is Jesus talking to the disciples? He just said, surely this generation will not pass away until all these things happen, but they're all dead. So either all these things have already happened or Jesus was wrong. And if Jesus is wrong on this, then why should we listen to anything that he said? This is the doubts that can rise from this passage and how others have tried to use this verse to cause doubts in the heart and minds of Christians. But I think there's two very simple and clear explanations as to what's happening. One is what this could mean of like this generation is at times the, the Bible talks about generations not just in a span of time but in um, a shared characteristic of people. So, for instance, in Psalm 14.5, it says, um, there they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. In Psalm 24, it says, such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of God. There are times when the Bible uses the word generation to describe a kind of people, not just a time frame of people. That's one possible way, which makes sense. I think the other that's a little bit clearer to me, um, just because I'm always like, keep it simple. Like, what's it saying? What does it mean? Is the generation present for the previous events? That it's saying like this generation, like at that time, with in that day, in that tribulation, this generation who is present for these things unfolding, it's going to happen within their lifetime. This generation who is in that time, there's a specificity there that I, for me seems clear of who he's talking to. He's not saying this generation to the disciples. He's saying this generation when those events and that tribulation is taking place is just kind of the clear understanding in case that has ever caused doubts or concern. And then look at how Jesus continues. In verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is a completely provocative statement. It's so easy to miss. You're like, okay, Jesus said my words will never pass away. Jesus has just once again claimed to be God. He claims to have the same authority of God. Like some will say, Jesus never claimed to be God. He's claiming to be God right here. Because in Psalm 119, it says, Only the word of Yahweh, your word, is firmly fixed in the heavens. Only God's word will stand for all eternity. In Isaiah 40, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Only God's word will stand forever. And Jesus is saying heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He is making this incredible statement that we can just read and move on and completely miss. But think of the the authority, the weight of what Jesus is promising. His return is not just promised, it is certain. Even though only God Knows the day and the hour of Jesus' return. Nobody else. Look at what it says in in verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. This is the other verse that can sometimes, for a slight detour, cause confusion. Like, okay, if Jesus is God, why doesn't He know when He's coming back? The reality is, is that question is answered in the incarnation. Jesus is eternal. He has always existed. He has all the same qualities of omniscience and all-knowing. But when he took on human flesh in what is called the incarnation, he also took on the, the vulnerabilities of humanity. This is why He got tired and He had to sleep and He fell asleep in the boat with the disciples. This is why when they put nails through His hands, He bled. This is how an eternal God died on the cross. In the same way, His knowledge was limited to that which was revealed to Him by the Father. So in that moment, in human flesh, He only knew what the Father had revealed and so the Father knows but nobody else is saying that God knows, only God knows when the return of Jesus will happen. Now, I really want to hit this because let's be honest, throughout history, what have we heard over and over again? Predictions that come and go, right? I didn't realize how far back. I was like, maybe this is just a recent phenomenon, but the earliest recorded evidence I found of this was in 500 A.D., Theologians, using the numbers from Noah's Ark, was trying to calculate when Jesus would return, and they're like, it's going to be in 500 A.D., there's so many more that's happened. And, and, and we look at it and we say, oh, what about World War II? Like, oh, that was terrible. Like the Holocaust, what was happening to Jews? The whole world is at war. Surely this is when Christ is going to return, but then it doesn't happen. But oh, the Mayan calendar comes to an end. And what was it? Like 2012, Jesus is going to come back then. And then it doesn't happen. Kirsten and I were in Israel when it changed to the year 2000, and we were visiting friends who were in like biblical Bethany on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And I was scared to drive home to Bethlehem over the Mount of Olives because there were people there in white robes with red roses waiting for Jesus. And I was like, they're going to be so upset. Like, I don't even know if they have return flights home. Like, what's going to happen? And so they were waiting, and there they are. Over and over again. And what happens? The danger is this. Well, He didn't come then, so why would He come now? What's really so different now than it was then? And if He didn't come then, then He's not going to come now. And slowly we are lulled to sleep. And we lose that awareness to, to remain awake and alert. To be on guard. And this is what He's getting at: Be on guard. Keep awake. Do we hear those words this morning? Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. We do not know when Jesus is going to return. But we know His return is certain and it is imminent. It can happen at any moment. So be alert. Be on guard. Because our hearts can grow calloused to all the times when people said, He's coming now and He didn't come. He's coming now and He didn't come. Nobody knows. They were fools. No one knows the day or hour. And so there is a command to us. Wake up. Be alert alert, for you do not know when the time will come. So let me ask you this. I kind of have two questions as we apply this text that I believe comes right from today's text. How have you fallen asleep spiritually waiting for Jesus' return? Because if you're honest, I, I can be honest. I know there's times when I'm like, People will say today, oh, look how bad it is. It's so bad, the wars, the this, the that. Everything's so much more terrible. And I look back in history and I'm like, it was kind of worse then than it is now. Or it was just as bad then. When you look at things with a historical perspective, it's like, let's be real. But what can happen in that kind of talk is it begins to think, is not any big deal. If Jesus didn't come then, why is he coming now? Like, who knows how much longer? And we just go on... In our mindless routine without that sense of being on guard, being alert. The false predictions callous our hearts, slowly rocked to sleep by the repetition of time and pain and sickness. So in what ways have you been rocked to sleep spiritually? In what ways in your life, in your conversations, in your obedience, in your faith, are you just putting things, kicking things down the road, and you've lost the awareness that the God to whom we sing, the name that we proclaim of Jesus Christ, we could be standing before Him face to face this afternoon. This afternoon. Like, what would change if I really believe that. Who, who am I not talking to? What obedience have I put off because I'm just assuming tomorrow and the next day in the next day. And, and Jesus is here saying, wake up. Be on guard, wake up. I'm near. Romans 13, besides this you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Can we say that? You know the time. The hour is now. The moment is now to wake from our sleep. We are nearer today to the return of Christ than when you first believed. Wake up. How have you fallen asleep that you've God shaking your shoulder and saying it's time to get up? Now's the moment. Today's the day. We don't know the day or hour, but we know His return is certain. And the second question is this. What does it look like then to wake up spiritually? Mean. What, What should we be aware of? I think about that verse 37. And what I say to you, I say to all: stay awake. This is what I sense, like God is saying to us this morning, right? He's like, he's talking to the disciples, and what does he say? I'm saying this to you. And I'm saying this to everyone. As a follower of Jesus, this is what he's saying. Stay awake. Stay awake. And Jesus gives this illustration as to what it means. He said, it's like a man who goes on a journey. And when he leaves the home, he puts his servant in charge, each with his work. And he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. Lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. I think in this illustration we see that... There's a spiritual connection here in the same way that this homeowner left his house to go on a journey and he left his servants in charge. He gave them work to do and he told them to watch. In the same way, Jesus, after he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, he told us that he was going to return. He went to prepare a place for us and he will return as he said. And as his servants, he has given us work to do. He has called us to watch. He he told the disciples exactly what that meant. He's like, "Stay in Jerusalem because you're going to receive the Holy Spirit and from there you will be empowered to go into all the world and proclaim the name and glory of Jesus Christ." That God created the heavens and earth. That mankind has fallen into rebellion of sin. And God, in His grace and mercy, sent Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, to live the life we were commanded but failed to live. Dying on the cross to take the punishment our wrongs, our sin, deserved. And He rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, and He will return, proclaim this to all peoples in all parts of the earth. That is the work that God has given us to do. This is why we say we're called to become disciples who make disciples, because that is why we're here. To declare the glory of God and to demonstrate the realities of the kingdom of God here on earth today that he is going to return. Stay awake. Let us watch. Let us not lose sight that it is not in vain. His return is certain and it can be at any moment. I want to encourage you in this moment to to close your eyes for a second. before I close in prayer I want to read a poem because my prayer for you is this in my own heart where I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would convict where conviction is needed where have we fallen asleep and then how is he calling us to walk in a wakefulness what does that look like The author of this poem is unknown, but it reads, Awake, O sleeper, in the valley of bones, from dead, born dead in sin, wandering alone. Awake, O sleeper. You you go your own way, thinking pleasurous freedom, but covered in chains. Awake, O sleeper. From dust you were made. This life is a vapor and it quickly fades. Awake, awake, O sleeper. You try to live right, but darkness prevails, overcomes all your might. Awake, O sleeper, before all is lost. Trust not in yourself, but blood on a cross. Awake, O sleeper, and turn to the one who loved so amazing, surrendered his son. Awake, O sleeper in the valley of bones, rescued from sin, no longer alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the reminder that we all need that You are returning as You promised to that your return is as certain as we know the sun to rise from the east in the morning. Lord, and though we don't know the exact day, the exact hour, the exact moment, Lord, we know that you are faithful to your word. And so, Lord, would you wake our hearts Would you awaken our minds? Would you awake us from the slumber? Calling us to yourself and calling us to the obedience you have paved for us to walk in. And in Jesus' name, amen.